Let's give a recap first of all. I want to do a little recap. Last week in chapter 5, Paul spoke to four different types of people, okay? He spoke first to older people. Remember, we're not to rebuke an older man, but to and exhort him as a father, right? Uh, he spoke second to older widows. Then he spoke to uh, third to younger widows. And then fourthly, he spoke to the officers of the church, particularly to elders, how, we, how elders should act, how elders are to be rebuked. And if they don't want to be corrected, then rebuke them openly, right? So we ended there with those four people. Now here in chapter 6, Paul entreats Timothy about four other groups of people in the church. Firstly, he talks about Christian slaves. Secondly, he talks about false teachers. Third, he talks to the pastor, Timothy himself. And then fourthly, he admonishes the rich. Okay? Let's go to the text and read. I'm going to start at verse 1. We're going to read the whole thing. Somebody say amen. amen. All right. Let all who are under a yoke as a bondservant regard their own master as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on grounds that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since, the, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches any different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching according with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved in truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food, clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered from the faith and are pierced and have pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of faith, take hold of eternal life to which you were called, and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus 
who in his uh, commandment, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen nor can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion forever and ever. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on, uncertain, on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard, and guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid irreverent babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Now this is a pretty long chapter. There's a whole lot of stuff in the middle of this. And I want you to notice that there, he specifically talks about specific things in here, okay? And if you were going through there thinking of what I just read to you, he talks about slaves and then he talks about false teachers and then he talks to Timothy about how he should flee those things and run after godliness, gentleness, all that stuff, right? And then finally he ends with an admonition to rich people and how they are to behave in the church. Amen? So I want to start first with a very important part of this, okay? And I want you guys to understand something before I get started. Uh, it starts in verse 1. It says, let all of those who are under a yoke as a bondservant or a slave, okay, regard their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be revived. Those who have believing masters are not to disrespect on the grounds that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since the one who is benefiting by their good service are believers and beloved. Now, I want to read to you a few things about Paul addresses slaves or servants or bond servants over and over in scripture okay uh, if you would turn to Ephesians chapter 6 okay I'm going to spend just a little bit of time on this so we can get context of Paul's view on this okay and then I'm going to speak to something that is not Comfortable, but we'll talk about it, okay? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. 
Ephesians 6, verse 5, he says this. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this will this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or free masters. Do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to start at verse 22 verse 22 says this bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters not by way of eye service as people pleasers but with sincerity of heart fearing the lord whatever you do work heartily as for the lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be repaid or paid back for the wrong he does. And there is no partiality. And then he says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now go to Titus chapter 2. Titus is right after 2 Timothy. Titus chapter 2, verse 9. He says this. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing and not argumentative. Not pilfering, but showing all good faith. So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Now go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter 2. He says this starting at verse 21. I don't have a 21. I think I might have meant 2 Corinthians. Let's go check 2 Corinthians. Sometimes I write the wrong thing down when I'm in a hurry, okay? Y'all got to forgive me, okay? Nope, it ain't that one either. I'll find it. Hold on. I probably just wrote the wrong chapter down. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians and I'll find it. Vision in the church. Mm -hmm. I love this when we write it down wrong, right? Gotta love it. Here, I bet I can find it. Hold on a second. I'll find it later. 
I was thinking it might be in my notes on in my Bible. Just one second. Where'd it go? It could be. What's chapter 7 say right there? Yes, that's it. Chapter 7. I just wrote, I just wrote the wrong one down. Chapter 7. See, I'm not perfect. You can wipe your forehead and just realize you don't have to be either, okay? Chapter 7, not 2. <laughs> Chapter 7, verse 21. He says this. Uh, yeah, there we go. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail your opportunity. Okay? For he who has called, he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is to is free, is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was freed was called as a bondservant in Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become a bondservant of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him there remain with God. Now, I want to stop here and I want to take you to a uh, statement that I find in my ESV translation of the words in the ESV Bible, okay? And it says something that's pretty profound, and I thought this was interesting in looking this up. And I want to read it to you so that you can understand all of what we just read, okay? And I want you to get a different idea about slavery, okay? Because the way Americans think of slavery is what happened in this country. Slavery in biblical times was altogether different than what happened in our country in the early 1800s and late into the late 1800s, okay? This is what it says in my uh, preface for the ESV Bible and the, translate, the translation of specific terms. Third, a particularly difficult, uh, there is particularly difficult, there is particular difficulty in presenting words in biblical Hebrew and Greek that refer to ancient practices and institutions that do not, I repeat, do not correspond directly to those in the modern world, such as the case in translating the Hebrew word ebed and the Greek word doulios, terms which often are rendered as slave. These terms however, actually cover a wide range of relationships that require a range of re-rendering, either slave or bondservant or servant, depending on the context. Further, one word, uh, further, the word slave currently carries atrocious associations with often brutal and dehumanizing institutions of slavery in the 19th century in America. For this reason, the ESV translation of the word ebed or dulios have been undertaken with particular attention 
to their meaning in each specific context. Thus, in the Old Testament times, one entered slavery by either voluntary to escape poverty or pay off debt or involuntary by birth or being captured in battle or by judicial sentence. They could be a slave. Protection from all in servitude is in ancient Israel and was provided in the Mosaic law of ancient Israel. In the New Testament, a dulios is often best described as a bondservant. That is someone who is bound to serve his master for a specific time, usually a period of time, but also sometimes could be uh, permanent. But this is also a period of time, uh, they also someone who might nevertheless own property, achieve social status, achieve social advancement, and be released or purchase their own freedom at a later date. So in saying that, what I'm telling you is they understand that slavery was far different than what we had in America. In America, when you were a slave, you couldn't own no land, you couldn't have any social advancement, you couldn't have your freedom unless you ran for it, right? Unless you escaped. Now, servants in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament Bible were like this. Slavery in Rome didn't mean I couldn't own anything. Slavery in Rome didn't mean I couldn't be somebody in the community. Slavery in Rome, most of the time, was not a permanent thing. You were a bond servant. You came into slavery and then you worked off your debt and you were released and freed, okay? So I want to talk just a second about slavery and biblical understanding of it. First of all, this is what I want to say, okay? Uh, and I want you to hear my words very clearly, so I wrote them down. Okay? The Bible does not, I repeat, does not, nor does it condone slavery. It does not teach slavery, and it does not condone slavery. The Bible does, however, clearly and thoroughly show the reality and the atrociousness of slavery over and over. The Babylonians took Israel into captivity. They were slaves. You understand me? Rome took Israel as slaves. Amen? We got to understand that the Bible does not teach nor does it condone slavery. And anybody that says otherwise is not reading the Bible I'm reading. Well, they say, well, how come Paul didn't outright just say slavery is a sin, Pastor? Why didn't he do that? Because his job wasn't to end public institutions in which he had zero control over. Paul was not here to bring down Roman slavery. Paul was not preaching to bring down these different institutions he was there to lift up Christ and to show slaves that even in their slavery, they were free to serve Christ and to live for him. Uh, you understand me? So I'm, I'm spending a great deal of time on this because there are those 
that would say, well, the Bible promoted slavery and, the, and, you know, and those people that did slavery in America, they were getting it from the Bible. No, they were not. Anyone that did atro the atrocities of slavery did that on their own understanding, their own will, their own ideas. They did not gather that from Scripture. Do you understand me? I want to make that very clear from the very beginning. And here, Paul is not making a case that slavery is good. Paul is simply telling servants that they need to live their life like they're living for the Lord, even while they were a slave. Okay? Israel and the early church, it, it can be seen as clearly a reality in the lives of Israel and the early church. But nowhere is slavery taught as right, nor was it ever considered an establishment of God. And the scriptures in no way glorify the practices of slavery. Nowhere. Never see slavery as taught as something instituted by God. Never once. Okay? Let's clear the air. Amen? Uh, so here, in verse 1 and 2, those who believe, I want you to see this, those who believe in Jesus Christ and are born again are not only to, are, are not only to honor their masters, but to consider uh, and have the mindset that my master, my boss, my authority figure is worthy of all honor. Okay? Now here's the thing. Something had to have been going on in Ephesus, and I'll show you this here in a minute, where false teachers were coming in and saying, hey slaves, you ought to just rise up and run away from your masters and be disobedient to them and treat them like they're treating you. You know, because the reality is the Old Testament taught what, Mike? An eye for an eye. A tooth for a tooth. And Jesus said, that ain't that way no more, right? It ain't that way no more. I don't get to repay. God, vengeance is the Lord's. Amen? Right. Nobody had any eyes or fingers, and we'd look real funny, right? The reality is Jesus taught us to give unto Caesar what was Caesar's, and unto God what was God's, and to learn to love even those who mistreat us. Amen? And I don't know anybody who has more opportunity to love people who are mistreating them than slaves did. Right? So in their slavery, they had the greatest opportunity to show the love of God more than anyone else. Okay? So Paul isn't writing them to tell them, hey, run away. Now, it's interesting that Paul did say, if you have a way to get your freedom, then do that. But you have to do it in a godly way. You can't just run off or you can't just be. Matter of fact, the whole book of Philemon is about a slave, one Osipius, who ran off, spent time with Paul, got convicted that he did a wrong thing and Paul sends him back 
to Philemon and tells Philemon, his master, treat him as a brother, right? That's the book of Philemon in a nutshell, okay? Why would Paul do that? Why would Paul say, go back and serve him? Why? Because it glorifies God in him doing that. Do you understand when you go to work, you're a bondservant. You're a bondservant. You work for a wage, you're a bondservant. You come to agreement with your boss, I'm going to work for this amount of money, and I'm going to work these hours for that money. You're a bondservant. So as you're serving your boss, as you're serving those in authority, you ought to do it not like you're serving them, but like you're serving Christ. And if they're saved, this verse says if your master's a believer, don't think that you get out of serving him better. Uh, you know, just don't think you can just do the minimum. He said you've got to serve them even better because they believe and are beloved in Christ, and we ought to serve them even better. Amen? So this admonishment isn't addressing the institution of slavery. It's telling those who are in and a part of Notice that he told the master, if you had a believing master. Notice all the other contexts that we read. He addressed the servant, and then he addressed the master. Masters that believe, amen? Notice that he said, didn't say, hey, masters, release all your slaves. Because Paul understood to do that. He, that wasn't his job, you understand? Institutions of slavery existed long before us, long after us. People say, well, slavery didn't exist until Christianity came around. And I was like, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard anybody say, okay? I'm not trying to be mean, but that's dumb, okay? Slavery has existed forever, way before Christianity, amen? Way before Mosaic Law, slavery existed. It's evil. We get it. But it's also sometimes things that we can't control and we can't change. And Paul understood that at the time he was writing, he couldn't do anything about slavery. You understand? He wasn't writing to tear that down. He was writing Christians to tell them how to behave even if they were a part of that system. Okay? So let's understand that in Paul saying this, he is not endorsing slavery okay he is not that's not what's being done here and i don't want anybody to be misled by that he says that uh if we have believing masters we must consider the mindset or have the mindset that my master my boss my authority figure is worthy of all honor and then we ask the question well why so that the name of god and the teaching and i believe the king james says the doctrine may not be reviled. Amen? Because he answers this question. Let me flip my Bible back over to Timothy real quick. See, the first thing he says is, let all who are under the yoke of bondservant regard one, uh, one's own master worthy of all honor. Stop. Everybody go, worthy of all honor. My master? Why? When we hear that, we automatically think why. And then he says, so that the name of God and the teaching or the doctrine may not be reviled. Amen? I want to read you something that Matthew Henry said in his commentary. He says this, If a servant that embraced the Christian religion should grow insolent or disobedient to their masters, the doctrine of Christ would be reflected on their... On their 
would be reflected on for their sake. As, it, as if it had made men worse livers than they had been before they had received the gospel. That's an important thought. What Paul's telling them is exactly what Matthew Henry's saying there. If, if you come to Christ and you're a bondservant, your master, whether good or bad, is going to be able to tell if you coming to Christ is going to make you a worse person or not. You understand what I'm saying? What he's saying is if you start being disobedient and insolent, that's going to reflect on the gospel that you supposedly are living under. And people are going to go, man, they don't live what they're preaching. Right? In other words, it's going to reflect poorly on the gospel if you, be, if you start behaving that way. Amen? So Paul is, in this, Paul's saying the same thing. Do you understand? And Paul admonishes in Corinthians, hey, if you can get out of being a servant, then do that. But you've got to do it right. Amen? And if you're going to be, a, if you're a bond servant, that means you're working for a specific time. Do your time. Pay your debt. Get out of that. And then you'll be free. Right? So let's understand the ramifications of first century Roman ruled Israel. Amen? And what slavery really was. Okay? Uh, lastly, he says, but if you have a believing master, you cannot abuse your common faith by believing that you can work less or slack off because your master is your brother. This lowers the expectation instead of raising it like Paul says. He says, rather, you must serve all the brother, all the more for your brother because he's your brother. Amen. You must serve even better because he's your brother, because he's a Christian, because he's part of the body of Christ. Amen. You ought to serve even better. Amen. And then he ends with this. Teach. And urge or exhort these things. Amen. So if any pastor ever gets up and says, oh, it's all right to badmouth your boss and, and act like this to him and act like that. He's not preaching the gospel. He's doing something that a pastor should not do. Pastor should exhort you to serve where you're at as Christ has told you to. Amen. That's the way we ought to be. And if you want to get a different job, look, this is America. you got certain freedoms. None of us are actual bond servants. You can go to your boss and say, hey, I'm putting my two weeks notice in. But here's what I want you to do, Christian. If you put your two weeks notice in, do the two weeks. Amen. Amen. That's doing it right. Amen. Remember, I put a, month, a month's notice in at Cessna, man. I'm telling you, especially when you know you're not going to be going back. That last day was really hard, okay? I, I woke up that morning going, man, do I need to, I don't know if I want to go in. This is only one day, right? It's only one day. No, no, I need to go in. Why? Because it's right. Amen? So let's do right as bond servants. Amen? Because we're not just serving men. We're serving Christ. Amen? Well, let's get into the next part because there's a lot of interesting stuff in here, too. In this next section, he starts off, he says, firstly, what he says in verse 1 and 2 is in contrast 
to what these false teachers were teaching and encouraging slaves to be insubordinate. Notice how he makes the transition. He starts, about, out, starts out talking about slaves, and he says, teach and urge these things. And then he says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine. Isn't that what I just said? If a pastor gets up here and says, it's okay to do that to your boss and talk to be insubordinate and talk to them. They're not preaching the gospel. They're not pre preaching sound doctrine. Amen. And he says, if anybody preaches any other doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that is in accordance with godliness, he's puffed up. It's all about him. Why would people start teaching you that? Because they're trying to get you to be insolent, insubordinate, and act wrong, and act like the world acts. Amen? We're supposed to be different. You should be able to hire a Christian and say, man, I'm getting my money's worth now. Right? I should be able to hire a Christian and I should get an honest day's work for an honest day's wage and I shouldn't have to ride them. I shouldn't have to uh, stay on top of them to do their job. Why? Because they are not serving me. They're serving Christ. Amen. Amen. That's how Christians should be in the workplace. That's how Christians should be in the world. That's how we should be living. We should be setting an example. Amen. But all too often and even in these times, even in Paul's day, early church, you had people slipping in and telling people, you don't have to do that. You don't have to. Why? Because we had all them Joel Osteens back then. It's all about me and it's all about mine. It's all about that. Right? Listen to this. Listen to the, how he describes these. He says, these people are puffed up with conceit, understanding nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction. Wow. You see that? You ever seen anybody just come into the workplace that was like that? Always had something to say about what the boss told them to do. Always had something to do. And they come to church too, okay? Always got something to say about pastor said this, pastor said that, or brother so-and-so's doing this, and sister Susie so-and-so said that, right? Stirring up strife. Stirring. We're not even supposed to let that stuff go on in the church. You realize that, right? When, it, when that kind of stuff starts, everybody in the church ought to say, whoa, we're not doing that. I'm going to tell you right now, as a pastor, when somebody comes to me and says, so-and-so is doing this, I say, whoa. Right? Got to the point where I don't answer my phone when people text stuff like that to me. I'll just ignore you. I love you, but I'm going to ignore you if you come to me with that kind of stuff. First of all, you ought to be talking to the person you're talking about. You ought to be talking to the person you're talking about. Amen. Not to me, not to brother so-and-so. If you got, if there's something going on in somebody's life and you see it, you need to go talk to them. Amen? Amen? That's the way it ought to be. And, and if anything like that started in the church, we're supposed to stop it. Amen? Amen. No slandering, no tension, no backbiting, no any of that stuff, right? But notice the, these wordings are stuff that we see in the church quite a bit. Amen? It's, I mean, it's, I'm going to leave that alone. 
envy, dissension, slander. Y'all know what slander is? False accusations. You know what I mean? That's what slander is. Gossip may not be false. Gossip could very well be true. Okay, that's, that's different than slander. Slander is telling an outright lie about somebody. Okay? False accusations. That's what slander is. Okay? Gossip, it might be true. It still ain't none of your business, but it might be true. Okay? Now, anytime it's not about you, pretty much it ain't none of your business. So, you know, I love y'all. <laughs> Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, hey, and we're supposed to hold each other accountable to that too, right? Is that gossip or are you really giving me a prayer request? Come, come on, I'm just telling you. Is that gossip or are you really just giving me a prayer request? I don't know which one, okay? Because sometimes there's a line there, right? Well, I don't know if I need to know about this. Amen? But he says, these people love controversy and quarrels that produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicion, and constant friction. Man, these false teachers, they teach a different doctrine. I want to note this. I want to get to this. This section that we're talking about, these false teachers, they teach a different doctrine that doesn't agree with the words of Christ. They teach... They teach things that uh, accord, don't accord or agree with godliness. They're puffed up with conceit. It's all about them. Understand nothing. What does it mean they understand nothing? It, you can tell when people don't get it, okay? Because Jesus says one thing, but they're doing another, and then they try to justify what they're doing, even though... There's no biblical foot to stand on for doing it that way, right? This is, they're not walking in any understanding, okay? And then Paul goes even farther with these false teachers. He says they have an unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels they produ that produce dissension, slander, envy, suspicions, and constant friction among depraved people. They have depraved minds, and they're depraved in the truth. What does that mean? It means they believe falsely about Scripture. They have a twisted view of Scripture, and their mindset towards the truth is twisted. You can see that in the world today with this whole health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that's all about people and not about Christ at all, okay? Now, here's the thing. I'll pray anything I ask yeah, the Bible does say, if you ask anything in my name, I'll give it to you. It does say that. But he also says not to pray for this, this, and this. Right? Notice that before he said, ask anything in my Father's name and he'll give it to you, he had already went through, don't pray about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, what you're going to drink. Don't pray for those things. Why? Because your Heavenly Father already knows that you have need of those things. So what should I pray for? How about praying for your brother? How about praying for your sister? How about praying for lost people who don't know Jesus Christ? How about praying for the church in our gospel message, in our gospel proclamation, our great commission to go into all the world? How about praying for godly things and stop worrying about yourself because Jesus said your heavenly Father already knows you have need of those things. Yeah. Yet this whole health, wealth, and prosperity gospel is all about me what I'm going to get from God 
and not about Christ. Notice this. There's another verse about prayer. He says, he says, we know if we pray anything according to God's will, that we'll have that. Now, here's the thing. Most people in health, wealth, and prosperity are doing one thing very wrong. They're assuming they know God's will. They're assuming they know the mind of God, and they are assuming that they know God's plan for your life. That's what they assume. They have to. They have to assume that if they say everybody's going to be healed. And if you're not healed, then you're walking in some kind of unbelief. I'm sorry. I know lots of pastors who have physical disabilities that are faithfully following Christ. I know lots of Christians that have physical impairments that are faithfully following Jesus Christ. This does not line up with the rest of Scripture when they teach that. And to teach that everybody in Christ is going to get rich goes against everything Jesus taught anyway. Store not up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust can eat and corrupt, right? Uh, it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's like a camel going through the eye of a needle. And you tell me God wants everybody to be rich. Jesus said, the poor you'll always have. If we're always going to have poor, that must mean that not everybody's going to be rich. When he gets to the rich people in here, okay? He gets to that. The reality is, Anybody preaching health, wealth, and prosperity is assuming they know the mind of God and they know God's plan for your life. They're assuming that. And I watch as so many people get disillusioned from church because some pastor or some person in the church came up to them with a word from God God's going to bless you and give you this ministry and do this in your life and do that in your life. And then when it doesn't happen, they go, well, this God guy must not even be there because it didn't happen. The problem is that isn't that God's not there. The problem is they were lied to in the name of God and told that God was going to do something that God never intended to do. And you're leading Christians astray and not actually producing a biblical relationship of a Christian who's trusting God no matter what. I've got to be able to trust God whether I'm abounding in great riches or whether I'm poor and destitute living on the street. And nowhere did Christ promise that he would take you from poverty to great wealth. That's a lie. That's a lie. Nowhere did he say, I'm just going to heal everybody. Yeah, he did say that in Revelation. You know where that was at? In heaven. We're all going to be without infirmity. We're all going to be perfect in heaven. But in this world, I will have tribulation. He didn't say, you're not going to go through anything. I'm never going to do this to you. Never going to do that to you. Never going to let this happen to you. 
And my most famous one that I'm so tired of hearing everybody use for a healing verse is Isaiah 55 or 53, where he talks about, by his stripes you are healed. Do you understand that whole chapter is talking about God purchasing you back from sin and not physical healing? It's about God making a covenant with Israel and wiping their transgressions away. That's what the blood in that chapter is talking about. The stripes that were laid on him was the punishment for your sin, for my sin. The punishment that our iniquity was laid upon him. And by his stripes I'm healed means I can be saved. Oh my goodness, can we get back to biblical actual Christian doctrine. True. True. And stop wandering in the weeds of all this stuff we wish God would do. And just look at what God did do. And does do. And does promise. Amen. Get out of there. Man, if anybody's trying to tell you that stuff, just run away from them, okay? You don't need to listen to them. You don't have to listen to them. There's no requirement that you got to. You can look at them and say, brother, I love you, but I ain't listening to any more of this, okay? Because the reality is, Jesus didn't make those promises. Does God heal people? Absolutely. Will God heal people? Yes, he will. But guess what? God will heal whoever he wants. And here's a hard one for most modern Christians to get. If God doesn't want you healed, you won't be healed. How many times did we see God allow calamity to come upon his people so that it would turn them around. And we think this same God that was in the Old Testament won't allow you to walk through a sickness, won't allow you to walk through some poverty, won't allow you to walk through some adversity so that you can learn to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Amen. Come on now. You know why we got a church that looks more like the world than they do like Christ? Because they're praying away storms that they need to go through. They're trying to, trying to overcome some poverty that God wants them to learn something through. They're trying to overcome a, a sickness that until it's over, they're not going to have faith in God. The problem is, while I'm waiting for a healing, I still need to have faith in God. I can't just have faith in the healing. I gotta have faith in God. I gotta live for God right now while I'm waiting on the promise. You understand? Come on. In the uncomfortable times. Everybody brings Paul up. Paul, Paul did not walk around like these evangelists you see on TV, okay? Paul did not walk around with Rolexes and three-piece suits and multi-million dollar houses and cars and church buildings. Paul was imprisoned and beaten and captive and sick and hungry and thirsty. He went through famine. He went through disease. And Paul still served God. Bring me my coat because I left it somewhere, right? The reality is this. 
I believe if you take health, wealth, and prosperity from a lot of modern day Christians, you'll find out one thing. They're not Christians. They're serving things and they're running after stuff. They're running after the gift and not the giver. They want things and they don't want God. Because when you bring up doctrine, when you bring up what scripture teaches, automatically, I got called this to my face. I got called a Pharisee because I brought up scripture. You know, the Bereans studied the scriptures to see if everything that Paul said was true. That's how you ought to be. When somebody brings up something teaching, you ain't never heard of it before. Get your Bible out. Study it out. Find out if that's really what Scripture says. Amen? False teachers. I'm going to move on. What time is it? That's right. Oh, I am. I am running a little behind. I might have to finish the rest of this next week. I might have to. Christians can be content. That's where I want to end. Christians should be content that our needs are met in Jesus Christ. Notice how Paul ends this section. He says, uh, uh, oh, here we go. Verse 8. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation fall into temptation and into the snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Go with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians 12, and I'm going to end right there today. And we'll finish up chapter 6 next week. Somebody say amen. amen. I'm, I'm glad that you guys came today. I'm glad that we got to read this. I'm just sad that I didn't get through the whole chapter this week. Verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 9 says this. But he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with what? Weariness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Beloved, just this verse goes totally against modern Christianity. Where they teach any calamities from the devil. Any hardships from the devil. Any this, this is from the devil. Did they forget about Job? Did they forget about the fact that Israel was let, led into captivity over and over and over and over? Because the minute that they got 
hard-headed, the minute that they got hard-hearted, the minute that they started wandering off serving other gods, God would send another calamity. The verse that most people are quoting in this time and this day is, My people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face. If they just read a few verses before that where it says, If I would send calamity upon the land, if I would send a pestilence upon the land, if my people who are called by my name, notice that God sent the pestilence, God sent the calamity, God sent that. Why? So that I can get my eyes back on God. But God wouldn't do that, Pastor. Wouldn't he? Doesn't he? Paul said, I rejoice in calamity. I rejoice in these things. But today they would say, oh, brother, you didn't get up here and pray. You just don't have enough faith. And Oh, God don't want you to go through that. God doesn't want you to be in that situation. Assuming they know God's will. Assuming they know the will of God for you. I'm telling you, you gotta, we got to get out of this. The Bible is the only rule of faith and practice. If someone else is telling you something that directly goes against the Bible, you need to stop listening to them. Because the Bible doesn't teach that. You understand me? Sola Scriptura. Turn that. Hey, flip that off there. There we go. By grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, for God's glory alone. Your life isn't even about you getting glory. It's about you giving glory to God. So in your weakness, Christ can be glorified. In your calamity, in your hardship, in your persecutions, in your temptations, God's grace will be sufficient and will show his glory. That's what it's about. And Paul knew this. That's why Paul didn't run after stuff. Paul wasn't sending out letters. Send me your, you know, $40 and I'll send you a prayer handkerchief. He wasn't doing that. Huh? And he didn't need a $56 million jet. He didn't need that wasn't about that. He wasn't about stuff. He was about glorifying God. And as Christians, I'm ending right there. Our life. Here's the sole purpose of man. The sole purpose of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Christ forever. That's our goal. As believers, that's our goal. No matter what walk of life I'm in, no matter what state of life I'm in, that should not dictate me glorifying God. Not just with my mouth, but in how I live and how I act and how I behave. Amen? Let's stand. Pastor Shannon and them going to show up real quick here. I'm still going to be preaching if I don't stop. <laughs> Are they? Praise the Lord. Let's let's close with prayer. Father God, we just thank you and praise you, Lord, for everything that you're doing in our life. Lord, we ask that you would help us to learn to be content in all things. 
whether we are abounded or abased, whether in lack or in, in plenty, God, let us learn how to glorify you in every situation that we find ourselves in in life. Lord, whether it's in good times or bad times, whether it's in plenty or in want, let us have the mindset that my goal is to bring glory and honor to Christ. Help that be this church's heart, this church's cry. In Jesus' name, amen.